the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. And why is that? Well, today we're going to find out why. And today I hope, too, to encourage you and to provide you some relief as well as some awareness because it's really not up to you. And that's why we're studying Romans. Get Romans right and you get Christianity right. Get Romans right, you get life right. Get Romans right, you get the Bible right. Get Romans right, you get evangelism right. And you get Romans right and you get church right. And all of these questions are answered in our passage today. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall the mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Oh, nothing is impossible Hello and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast With Keith Crosby Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've joined us today for the broadcast. And as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. As we continue today on our journey through the Book of Romans, we'll be hearing a message that Pastor Keith has entitled, Your Questions Answered. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the Book of Romans, Chapter 3. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Father, we thank you for these baptisms, Lord. What an amazing, amazing morning this has been for us to see people, Lord, express their loyal love for the Savior, for all that he has done for them, Lord. And as they take these steps, these steps in obedience, Lord, to bring you glory, to bring good to others and grow to themselves as they talk about you. Lord, bless each and every one of them. Lord, use them in your kingdom. Lord, use us today as we learn about you from the book of Romans. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So today we're back in our series, which is called Understanding the Faith. It's, it's a series on Romans. We are in there because Romans is the most comprehensive explanation of the Christian faith in one chunk in the Bible. And if you understand Romans, you understand the faith. And so we're, we're in our sixth week of that study, and over the last few weeks, we've understood the message of the gospel, we've understood the condition of those who reject the gospel, that God is displeased with them because he offers them forgiveness and they reject it. And a lot of times we look at those folks, and we talked about a few last week, and we look at them and we look down on them, but then last week we learned that we can't look down on everybody because we were all in the same boat. At one point in time, we were all without God. And that God 
provided us the same cure that he offers them. And we rejected it maybe the first couple of three times, but we all needed the same cure because we were all in the same boat and we needed the one, the only Savior that there is, Jesus Christ. And so we're kind of working through that. Now, as Paul writes to these churches in Rome, there are churches that are Jewish Christian churches. There are churches that are made up of non-Jews and there are mixed churches. And so as he deals with these issues, And he explains to them that we're all in the same boat, that the gospel is for the Jew and the non-Jew. He anticipates in Romans chapter 3, where we're going today, that there are some questions in their minds. And so we've called this series, Your Questions Answered. Now, most of you don't look a day over 1,500, so you probably weren't back there when the letter came. But as we've gone through this passage, maybe it's raised questions for you. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Paul as he initially answers six questions that would come to mind for the Jewish Christian in those days. And then we're going to double back and double down and really look at questions you have today in the here and now. So just bear with me. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute, another six-point sermon. That's not what's going to happen here. I'm going to just cover Paul's questions because I want to do justice to Romans chapter 3. So we're going to do that in the first few minutes, and then we're going to come back and examine four realities that apply to us in the here and now. So Bear with me and stay with me. And so basically, our passage in, in, in Romans, you know, Paul talks to them about the Jew and the Greek needed salvation. And so for the Jewish person, they're probably wondering, well, wait a minute, weren't we God's chosen people? Uh, aren't we special? And so Paul anticipates that question. And, he's, and, and so what he does is he does this question and answer, and here it comes now. Question number one that he deals with, then what is the advantage of being a Jew or being circumcised? Because the Jewish people are going, well, we were God's chosen people. He gave us the word of God to take to the world. But you just say, Paul, that everybody needs the same Savior. Everybody's in the same boat. And so he answers, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What's going to happen here, as he asks and answers these questions, He's going to remind them that nobody's special, that there's none righteous, no, not one, that everybody needs God, but that the Jews were picked out, selected through no fault or credit of their own to be the ones who received the word of God to take it to the nations around them. And that's what's going on here, which brings to mind a second question if you were a first century Jew listening to what Paul wrote or reading it for the first time. Well, wait a minute, you know, Israel rejected her Messiah. She crucified him. Will Israel's unfaithfulness nullify God's promises? Because God promised Abraham to make him a father of nations. And he made promises about the Jews to use them in the redemption of mankind. And so Paul answers the question. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. And he's reminding them that, look, God's character is such that no matter how unfaithful you are, he will be faithful. Now, in this era in which we live today, there's some confusion about the church replacing Israel or that the church is the new Israel. And that's just not the case. All the promises to Israel have not been yet fulfilled. And what he's telling them then and there, and maybe us here and now, is, look, God's character is such that he doesn't break his promises even if we do. I mean, think about it. When you came to Christ and you put your faith in him and promised to love him, you sinned afterwards, right? So he's saying, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. No matter how bad everybody else behaves, God's going to be who God is and how God is. God's character never changes. Which brings us to the third question that a Jewish person in the first century would ask. 
Well, if our righteousness displays God's righteousness, why punish sin? Now, it almost seems like they're living in the 21st century. You know, the end justifies the means. But Paul answers this. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means, for how could God, for then how could God judge the world? Their condemnation is just. And the bottom line is this. If we sin and good comes out of it, that's, that's great. But we're not supposed to do bad things. Bad things deserve to be punished. And what he's saying is, look, the end don't justify the means. And, and be glad that it worked out in the end. But God is going to punish sin. That's just the way it is. And if he shows mercy, that doesn't mean that we should ever mistake his grace for his approval. Question four that Paul asks and answers for the Jewish mind in that day. Well, aren't Jews as God's chosen people better off than most people? Sometimes you hear Christians say that. But he, what he says in Romans 3, 8, uh, 3, 10 through 18 is this. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, Jews and non-Jews, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. We're all in the same boat. We all need the same cure. Nobody is morally superior to the other. And God may raise us up and use us, but it's not because we were special. And write this down, write this down, Ezekiel 16, 3 through 6. Actually, in the Old Testament, God deals in detail with his choice of Israel right there in Ezekiel. And this isn't in your notes or anything like that, but I want you to write this down and read it because it's really a picture of you and I as well, okay? For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. There is none righteous, no, not one. All in the same boat. Then he asks and answers a fifth question. Then how can anyone be saved? By what means? Because the Jewish person, you know, he had the law of Moses. And and they became confused, though Abraham was saved by faith, right? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. They got hung up on the outward morality and sort of a surface spirituality and thought they could earn their way to heaven, that they could be good enough by law-keeping. But that's not what the law was for. And so Paul answers the question in verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So basically, it's like this. Uh, God saves us despite ourselves. We've all sinned, we're all in the same boat, we all need the same cure, we all need the same Savior, and we are saved by faith according to the grace of God. And then the sixth question comes to mind for the Jewish believer in those days. Well, doesn't all this nullify the law given through God's messengers, and why the law? So the law has been set aside. Well, we know that that's not the case because Jesus said so in the Sermon on the Mount, but Paul answers here as well in Romans 3, 28 to 31. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the law, works of the law. Do we then overthrow the law by faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And as Paul explains the gospel, what he does in all of this is drives home a big idea here. And by way of analogy, the law is a litmus test to show us our sin. The law is like litmus paper. It reveals our sin. And as it says in verse 20, By the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge, the recognition of sin. When it says, you shall not murder, and you murder, 
you find sin in your life. When it says you shall not steal and you alter your mileage report or you know, play some games with your taxes or whatever it is, you understand that you need God because you've stolen. You know, this is what the law does. The law reveals sin and salvation reveals the grace and the mercy of God. So that's an overview of the whole chapter. Now we get into the heart of the sermon for us here today. Having completed this overview, I want to circle back and I want to answer some questions that you all have had for me and different people over the years have had for me. And that's why we call this sermon, this message, Your Questions Answered. And it's about the human condition and the implications of the human condition. So our passage today that we're going to unpack and explore is Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 18. And the reason this is good for us is this. A lot of times I have people, particularly like right now, as we're in the run-up towards Easter, saying, you know, why aren't people interested when I try to talk to them about Jesus? Why are people unwilling to come to church with me? What can I do to make Jesus and the church more appealing? How can I explain my faith in just the right way to persuade people to embrace Christ? I am terrified that I'm going to mess it all up. And what if I do such a poor job of answering all their questions that they don't choose Christ and they die and go to hell? And last but not least, of course, I read some, I'm sorry, how can I tailor the message in such a way as to be sure to attract people to Christianity? And when I'm sharing my faith, people often ask me the strangest questions. And when I answer them, they just ask another question that seems purpose built to derail the conversation. And then last and not least, I read somewhere that if I am purposeful about evangelism and if I find a person's felt needs, they will embrace Christ. Is this true? And these are answers that we all wrestle with. We, whether we're sitting across the table at like Thanksgiving and it's that once a year thing and you've got your aunt or uncle or whoever, or your cousin there, or your son or daughter that you've prayed for and they just don't seem interested. And, and why is that? Well, today we're going to find out why. And today I hope too to encourage you and to provide you some relief as well as some awareness because it's really not up to you. And that's why we're studying Romans. Get Romans right and you get Christianity right. Get Romans right, you get life right. Get Romans right, you get the Bible right. Get Romans right, you get evangelism right. And you get Romans right and you get church right. And all of these questions are answered in our passage today. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. And let's look at what it says here. It says, as it is written, so Paul is going to quote scripture. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Ouch. I don't know about you, but when I read that, that doesn't maintain and enhance my self-esteem. But the bottom line is understanding the human condition and its implications is the key to getting church, Christianity, and evangelism right. This is critical. And so today what I want to do is unpack this passage so that we can understand and apply it. And so what we're going to do today is look at four realities of the human condition. So that when you present the gospel, so when you try to live out your faith and people just don't say, what must I do to be saved? You'll understand what's going on. Because remember what it says in the Bible. One plants, one waters, one harvest, but it's God who yields the increase. Here's why. So the first reality we need to come to terms with, we need to grapple with, we need to understand and embrace is this. 
The human condition is not naturally righteous. The human condition is not righteous. It's, it's rotten. And we see this in Romans 3.10. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. Not one. That's what God is saying through the pen of the Apostle Paul. People may often appear to be nice, but at their core, they're not. Their motivations, apart from Christ, apart from salvation, are selfish. I'll give you an example. I'll call her Mrs. A. Mrs. A lived across the street from me in Green Bay, Wisconsin. She and her husband, Dick, wonderful people. Every birthday, every event in my family. I mean, if it was our anniversary, if my daughters had a, a, a piano recital or a violin recital, whatever it was, she invited, man, she showed up. She was wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Have us over for dinner, this, that, and the other. She tried to lead me into Buddhism unsuccessfully as a Christian pastor, I might add. And then one day, Dick uh, got his leg amputated right below the knee. I went to see him in the hospital. You know, it was a surprise. And uh, it was there that he told me that she left him because she just didn't want to have to deal with one-legged man. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seeks for God, right? People are selfish. And they may be outwardly moral, but they are inwardly not righteous. That's what's going on here. In Genesis 6, 5, it speaks to this fact painfully, but clearly. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Just linger over that for a moment. You know, we like to think that we're good. I'm not as bad as they are. Well, we talked about that last week in our discussion of respectable sins. Yes, we are. Not only are not, we're not as good as they are, Or we're just as bad, but we're not as good as we need to be. We may not be a serial killer, but we are not holy. Each one of us has sinned. All have sinned. All have done wrong. All have turned their back on God for a moment or for an instant, but sin kills. And whether you're killed with a cannon or a pea shooter, dead is dead. And we are dead in our sins and trespasses. And so the Lord talks about this here. Here, God, Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, says about the human condition Mankind, humankind, womankind, whoever's kinds, their heart is only evil continually. And you know what? He says it again in Genesis 8.21. Turn there. Genesis 8.21. What does it say? This is after the flood. This is after he's wiped out all the bad people and Noah and his family have survived. And what does God say when Noah and his family offer sacrifices to God? The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Our motives, our intents are selfish. They're not God-oriented, they're self-oriented. And left to our own devices, apart from salvation by Christ and the indwelling, transforming power of the Holy Spirit brought to bear on our souls, we are not naturally righteous. Apart from Christ, this is how we are. We're not only unable to change, we're unable to change because we're unwilling to change, but also we're broken. You know, we talked about how professing to be wise, they became fools and their foolish hearts were dark and their minds stopped working the right way. And so we're, we're broken and we can't fix ourselves. And he gives us this analogy through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 13, 23. And it says this, can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to do evil. This is how God sees us. He doesn't look at our outward morality. He looks at the heart. And what does he see? The fact is, you and I are like somebody who went to the wrong website on the internet and we downloaded malware and it's corrupted our operating system, it's messed with our file directories, 
our firmware, our middleware, our applications, and our operating system, and we are bent away from God. We are not righteous. We do not function the way that God expects us, has called us to function. And you have no chance. You have no desire to change your nature. You can't. Any more than an Ethiopian can change his skin color or a leopard his spots. This is who you are, broken and unrighteous before God. If you look here, Jesus talks about this too. In Matthew 7, 11, Jesus is talking about the human condition and he's talking about prayer. And he tells people, you know, he's telling them to go to God in prayer. And he's got the Jewish leaders and he's got the people all around him. This is the Sermon on the Mount. He's got the, the crowd there. And watch what he says about the crowd. Watch what he says to the crowd, about the crowd, and the goodness of God in answering prayer. What does he say? If you then, that's the southern all y'all there, if y'all who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Human beings apart from God, and there were believers in that crowd, but there were a whole bunch of unbelievers. And he says, and and how does he describe them? And it doesn't come through in the English, the you plural there, but it's a plural you. He's talking to the crowd. He's talking to people. If you who are evil, that's who we are. That's how we are apart from God. And that's why Jesus did not entrust himself to man. When he fed the 5,000 and they wanted to make him king, it says he was not entrusting himself to man because he knew what was in man. We are in our natural state apart from God, apart from salvation. The human condition is not righteous. Now, how unrighteous are we? Well, that brings us to our second reality. And reality number two is this, left to themselves, no human being has any interest in finding God. Our interests lie elsewhere. No human being has any interest in finding God. Why? Because they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Their foolish hearts are darkened and they worship the creation rather than the creator. They've got their own agenda and it's not God's agenda. And where do we see that? Briefly, we see that in Romans chapter 3, 10 and 11. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. None, there's no, no one who understands our minds are broken. No one, and when it says no one, it means no one. What, is the ver- what do the words say? What do the words mean? No one seeks for God. You have the legalist bully who's just on a power trip. He just wants to use the word of God for power over other people. You've got the unre- unrepentant sinner who just wants to pass. Neither of those are seeking God. They all have their own agenda. They all want what they want. And it's got little or nothing to do with God. They look past God. He gets in the way of their desires. He cramps their style. They're not interested in him. They're interested in their ambitions and their desires. And left to themselves, they have no real interest in him. He could be right there in front of them. And they can't see him because they won't see him. Think of a lion in a cage. And red meat is his sin. And he's a starving lion and he's sitting in a cage and he can't get through the bars. And right in front of him is a pile of soybeans or edamame, right? Lots of protein. He doesn't want that. He could eat that and he wouldn't starve to death. But you know what? He wants the red meat and that's where he's going. That's who we are. That's how we are in our fallen estate without God. We got all this protein right in front of us, but we want that protein over yonder. That's the way it is. That's how sin stains, bends, and obscures our view of God. And that's why none of us left to ourselves are interested in God. And Jesus drives this. If God didn't chase after us, we would never chase after God. Some of you have uh, read C.S. Lewis, The Magician's Nephew, Evil Uncle Andrew, you know, and you always wonder where that lamp came from in Narnia. And Uncle Andrew is a picture of the unbeliever. Digger is his nephew, right? Diggory. 
And the bottom line, every time Aslan shows up, he just sees someone or something he doesn't like. And in the scene in the book where Aslan sings the creation into existence, evil Uncle Andrew can't stand the noise. That's the way people are left to their own devices. Pastor Keith Crosby of the Grace to Live radio broadcast. We do want to thank you for tuning in today and joining us for Grace to Live, as these days are most definitely uncharted waters for all of us, not only here in our San Jose community, but also for believers worldwide. So we want to encourage you to keep looking up. Hillside Church will be holding our worship service 100% online for now. So please remember our website, hillside.org. You can view our Sunday morning service there, as well as to keep informed with updates on what's happening here at the church as we walk through this time together. Just click on the COVID-19 response button for updates on ministry activities, resources for your children, as well as important information from the County Health Commission. And you can also connect with us on social media, the church Facebook page, at Hillside Church San Jose, as well as our Instagram page, at Hillside San Jose. Don't worry if you missed any of this information. You can access everything by visiting our website, hillside.org. We want to thank you so very much for spending this time with us here on the Grace to Live radio broadcast. I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and all of us here at Hillside Church, we want to encourage you with our prayer that the Lord will continue to richly bless you and protect you. So please keep looking up And thanks for listening.